Saul enters the scene, or Paul, as he'll be later named. While you're going there, have you ever heard of an incredible feat or incredible record that was set and then found out who did it and you're like, what? That guy? That gal? What's going on? Well, I want to introduce you to something. Maybe you all know about this. I'm sure Nick Coleman does. The MLE, right, Nick? You know, no? Oh, sorry, I won't put anyone else on the spot today. Um, you, you all can relax. MLE, the Major League Eating League, okay? So, Major League Eating. Okay, the record is a 24-inch pizza. This person ate seven and a half extra large bocce. I don't know what bocce is. Look it up. It's near Chicago, I think. Pizza slices in 15 minutes. It is Richard the Locust LaFever, age 74, weighing in at 117 pounds. What? Okay, our next contestant holds the record. Three records, actually. More, but I didn't have room. So chicken nuggets. This person ate 80 of them in five minutes. Chili cheese fries ate eight pounds, two ounces in 10 minutes. And holds the cheesecake record for eating 11 pounds in nine minutes. It is Sonia Thomas. Yes. Age 51, weighing in at 105 pounds. What? Totally unexpected. Totally unlikely. What does this have to do with anything? Well, um, that's a good question. It doesn't. No, it does. It does. It does. So in Acts 9, we're going to look at Saul, and we're going to see that God uses Saul, uses Ananias, uses all sorts of people to do really unlikely things. You're like, really, that person? But that's what God does. That's what God does throughout history, throughout the Bible. God using really unlikely people to do really unlikely things for his glory. So, I want to start, actually, in chapter 8, verse 40. The last verse of chapter 8. It says, But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. 9, verse 1, But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Did you catch the contrast there? Right, verse 48, verse 40, but Philip was preaching the gospel. And then we have the same word, but Saul was persecuting Christians. Okay, do you see see that? Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. He was first introduced at the beginning of chapter 8. He approved of the execution of a leader in the Christian church. He got stoned. And then verse 3, 8 verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So he was actively persecuting the church. And that word ravaging, is more like a, a, a wolf. If you're familiar with, with a wolf with its prey, does something called the death shake. Okay, It takes it and just goes like that while it has it in its mouth um, and it, it, it breaks their neck and, and it dies. That's Saul. Threatening and murdering believers everywhere he went. And that's, where we, that's what we see him doing in chapter 9. 
Did you catch how unlikely and antagonistic Saul is? I mean, it says here that he was uttering threats, okay? In the New Living Translation, it says he was uttering threats with every breath. He was fuming, right? This was beyond a hobby. It's not like, oh, I just, on, uh, you know, on occasion, I like to go out and persecute Christians and kill them. No, like, this was, this was beyond a hobby to his, his job, his occupation, right? It's what he did. It was his obsession, And so before we start to judge Saul too much, I just want you to think for a minute. Think to a time when you were really bitter towards somebody, just really angry at someone. We've all been there, right? We've all been there several times, if we're honest, right? And the longer we stay in that bitterness and anger towards them, the more our our mind starts to play with that. And they, they end up becoming worse in our heads, right? The longer we stew on it, that person just becomes worse and worse. And if we, don't, if we don't do something with that, we end up acting out and doing something that we usually regret. Now, Saul was doing that, except he was acting out on every thought he had. Okay? So before we start to judge Saul too much, we've gone there in our minds. Saul's just actually doing it over and over and over. He's turning over every stone to kill Christians. See, he sent, he sent letters to the high priest at Damascus. He's like, hey, um, who are the believers? I'm going to Damascus. I mean, this is really thought out, right? You see this? You see how unlikely Saul is to believe in Jesus, much less be used by Jesus in a powerful way? Because he is just like, I'm going here next. I'm going to find out who those Christians are. I'm making a list. I'm checking it twice. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Tis the season, right? Um, but that, that's what he's doing. He's, he's literally making a list of people who he's going to kill and persecute. He's more, unlike, he's more unlikely than, than really anyone to believe in Jesus. And that's God's pattern. That's God's pattern throughout the Bible. God has an upside-down sort of kingdom Abraham and his wife Sarah. Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90. And God used them to begin his line of people. Sarah had a baby at 90 years old. Moses, he was a stutterer and a murderer, and God used him to deliver God's people from slavery. Rahab was a prostitute used to help Israel spies and then ended up being in Jesus' lineage prostitute how unlikely is that Jonah literally ran from God okay ran from going to this town Nineveh to bring revival to it God still used that man to bring revival to Nineveh Matthew was a tax collector tax collectors were scum they were cheaters they cheated people out of money They were low life, and he was chosen by Jesus to be a disciple of his, to be a follower of his. So I want you to think for a minute. Who's the most unlikely person you know? Who's the unlikely choice? God can never save them. I I, I wouldn't believe it if you told me they did. Who is that in your life? And I I don't want you to just think about it. I actually want you to write it down or, or type it into your phone, whatever you prefer. I want you to just write that person down right now. I'm even going to do it right now. Let's just get real practical here. Who is it? Saul was a really unlikely choice, but 
but God used him. So they can, God can change this person's life that you're thinking of right now. Write it down. If you're having a hard time coming up with someone, don't think too hard. You probably just spent some time with some family. I just wrote down a family member who I just spent time with. Maybe it's coworkers, friends, neighbors. So we have this unlikely choice, Saul. Next we see in the text, we have an unlikely encounter. So chapter 9, starting in verse 3. Now he went on his way. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do there. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So verses 3 through 9, we have an unlikely encounter with Jesus going on. Verse 3, it says, suddenly... Okay, there's no warning here. Just bam, Jesus shows up in Saul's life. And isn't that how it is often in people's lives? Jesus just shows up suddenly. And then verse 4, he falls to the ground. This is incredible. This is just God's light coming on him. So it's not even like God touching him or anything. It's just the light, the glory of God that touches Saul, and he can't help but go to the ground. Uh, so one second, okay, one second, he's going to murder Christians. That's all he can think about. He's obsessed with that. The next second, he's on the ground worshiping the king of kings. Can we just stop for a minute and, and, and be amazed at God's glory and God's, when, when God shows up, God's presence, God's glory changes everything. We're just singing about it, Right? When we truly encounter God, when God encounters people, they can't help but worship Him. This happened to Moses, this happened to Isaiah, this happened to the Apostle John and others. It's just awe. Just drop to the ground. How great is our God? Just the light from Him makes people worship. In verse 5, Saul reacts and goes, Who, who are you, Lord? And it's a strange reaction. Because I thought Saul didn't know Jesus, right? So he's saying, who are you, Lord? Why would he address him as that? Well, Saul didn't believe in Jesus, but he was a devout Jew. And Warren Wearsby, uh, who's a, a great pastor, wrote this. He imagines Saul saying to people as he walks around, saying, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Do you expect me to believe that a crucified nobody is the promised Messiah? According to our law, anybody who is hung on a tree is cursed. Deuteronomy 21, 23. Would God take a cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? No. His followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and doing miracles through them, but their power comes from Satan, not God. This is a dangerous sect, and I intend to eliminate it before it destroys our historic Jewish faith. See, Saul is saying, you know what? 
you're clearly God. There's no denying that. I'm here on the ground worshiping you. You're God, but you're telling me that I'm persecuting you. I thought I was serving you. Okay, okay, who are you, Lord? You're Lord, but I don't, but you're not the Lord that I thought I was just serving. So you can see why he would react that way. And Jesus ends up changing Saul's whole trajectory, right? I mean, literally forced Saul then to go and wait in Damascus, the town where he, he was going to go and have a bunch of Christians killed. He now has to go there and wait. And he doesn't even know what he's waiting for. I mean, talk about God opposing and humbling the proud. His whole life direction, his whole purpose in life, his whole trajectory, boom, changed in an instant. And in verse 7, we see that Jesus' encounter leaves everyone around him speechless. They were speechless. That's what should happen today when we encounter the good news of Jesus Christ, when we go, whoa, Jesus, he is that great, he is that good, and he is that loving. Holy cow. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I had that experience. I I had heard all about Jesus growing up. But one day, I was at a camp, and they were just walking through the Romans road, if you know what that is, and it just shares the gospel, and the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of my heart and said, Matt, you need me. And I was like, yep. I, I was left speechless. I, I didn't know what to say, but I knew I needed to follow Jesus. And that's, that's the effect that Jesus has on people when he encounters them. And he forces Saul to wait. It says in verse 8, wait for three days. Okay, think about it. 72 hours of just sitting there blind with your thoughts. All he knows is that Jesus, the one who he was persecuting, told him to go there. No one shared the gospel with him. He probably knows a little bit about what Jesus did but certainly didn't believe it. Now, did you know that if you're, I learned this in my psychology class in college, did you know that uh, if you're awake for 72 hours straight, you're clinically insane? So kids, don't try that at home. Um, I have some fun stories about that, but I will refrain. Um, But think about it. Your thoughts would consume you, and and your mind would start to play tricks on you if you were awake for 72 hours. But, But think about this. He wasn't just awake for 72 hours. He had just encountered Jesus, the God of the universe, and now he's left with his thoughts. What's going to happen? Am I going to die? I'm sure he had thoughts that were consumed with what he had done to Christians. I'm sure he was living in a lot of regret and fear. Verse 9, and it says he starved himself. Okay, didn't eat anything, and it probably was by choice, but he probably didn't even mean to starve himself. It was probably just out of shock, out of anxiety, and definitely out of repentance, because in verse 11, we hear that he was praying during that time. So at least you know he's praying. His prayers were probably something like, Jesus, (laughs) help. Sorry doesn't even cut it. I don't even know what to say to you, Jesus, but have mercy on me. 
See, Jesus still chooses Saul to encounter, which is amazing. I mean, literally, the worst person by human standards to encounter, and Jesus does it. There's hope for me. There's hope for you. There's hope for the person that you wrote down this morning. So he has an unlikely encounter, and next we see an unlikely witness. Chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So here we have an unlikely witness, Ananias. An unlikely witness. Here's how unlikely Ananias was. It says in verse 10, He was a disciple who lived at Damascus. Now, do you remember verse 2? When Saul was making his list, when he was figuring out who these Christians are that were living in Damascus, Ananias was probably on that list. And now, ironically, Jesus is asking Ananias to go to Saul. The very person Saul was going to destroy before his unlikely encounter with Jesus. Why not Judas? Right? It says here that you need to, you know, Ananias, you need to go to the house of Judas. And I'm sure Ananias was thinking, like, why don't you just use Judas? It's his house. He's already there. You don't need me. Okay, I live across town. And he's like, no, you need to go on Straight Street, which I think is fun. Um, And really cool when God uh, includes really detailed things like that in Scripture. Um, because I think it just validates Scripture, right? It's like, no, go to this specific address on Straight Street, which means Ananias probably didn't live on Straight Street. So why don't you use Judas? Ananias also had the same struggles that we tend to have with witnessing, right? He uses fearful excuses, but, 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 but we have to remember his fear is pretty warranted. He probably thought he was going to his execution at this point. Do you know what Saul's done, he says. And God responds to his fearful excuse with a simple go. Which is often what God does in Scripture. Go, it says in verse 15. He says, he's a chosen instrument of mine. Trust me, Ananias. I know what I'm doing. I'm God. Go. I'm in control. Don't be afraid, Ananias. Go. He says, 
He's my chosen instrument to carry my name. Look, Saul, I've got an incre- or look, Ananias, I've got an incredible plan for Saul that's way bigger than you and your fear. Get over your fear. I don't care that you're fearful. Go. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias, quit worrying about being persecuted from Saul. I'm going to flip the script here. I'm going to totally flip this on Saul. Don't worry about him. Saul's the one that's going to get persecuted for my name's sake. Go. And I don't think that this is punishment for Saul either. I don't think this is like retribution that Saul was persecuting Christians and now he's going to get persecuted. I think it's just, I think it's just to show a sharp contrast. Saul's life was totally transformed at a 180-degree turn. So he was persecuting Christians one second. Now he's going to get persecuted for being a Christian. So God says to Ananias, trust me. Trust my plan. It's not about you. Go. Fear and all, go. He was probably still really afraid. But he went anyway, it says. So for you and I, God's saying, you know what? Trust me. Trust my plan, Matt. It's not about you. Go. Even in your fear, go. You know, I'm a, I'd like to think I'm a pretty bold person when it comes to talking to people about Jesus. And I've never not been afraid, at least a little, when I've been talking to people about Jesus. In fact, I think it's good. If we actually feel the weight of what we're sharing, this is life and death. This is eternity. It should make you shake a little bit when you're talking to people about eternity. Souls are in the balance. But guess what? God loves to use unlikely, fearful people like us. He says, go. He loves to use the most unlikely people. I think I've shared it before. Well worth repeating, though. My sister was used by God. My sister is not like me in that she's not quite as bold and tends to be a little more quiet. And growing up, we had some friends that didn't know Jesus. Their whole family didn't know Jesus. She was good friends with, this, with the sister, and I was good friends with the brother. And I, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't invite them to church. I wouldn't talk to them about Jesus. But she did. Their whole family ended up coming to church and coming to know Jesus really quickly because God used the unlikely witness of my sister. And he wants to use you. It says here that immediately, immediately, Saul was changed. See, fearful, unlikely Ananias is used to seal the deal with Saul or Paul. Do you know Paul? If, you, if you're not familiar with Paul, okay, Paul ends up being a beast mode church planter and ends up selling the New York Times, or he ends up being number one on the New York Times bestseller list for 2,000 plus years and running, right? The Bible. What an unlikely witness to an unlikely person that brings unlikely results. Saul could see clearly now in every way. 
physically, spiritually, emotionally. His blinders fell off. He's forgiven. He's free. He has a new mission. He has a new purpose in life. Immediately, he's given the Holy Spirit. Immediately, he's baptized. If you've believed in Jesus and you haven't gotten baptized, let's do it. We can fill the tub up every week if you want. That's fine with me. I'll jump in there today. Let's get baptized. Immediately, he does that. It's a holistic experience that happens here. It's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's complete. It's a holistic transformation of Saul. And later, he's given a name to represent that, Paul. And this situation was certainly unique to Saul. Saul ends up being an apostle who writes a lot of the Bible. Okay, So this is definitely unique. However, when Jesus changes people's lives, he changes all of them. He wants to change all of us, and it's a process. So today, don't, don't wait around for scales to fall from your eyes. Don't wait around for lightning bolts from God. I think too many people are caught up in emotional traps like that. They're waiting for the next worship experience or the next conference. And we need concrete intellectual faith. But yet, at the same time, when you go from unbelief to belief, you don't go, I was just saved by Jesus. No, you're like, do you you realize what just happened to me? Jesus changed my life. It's an emotional thing. So don't stiff arm the emotional, physical side of Jesus changing lives, of Jesus continuing to change your life with the gospel. The gospel has effects on you. I love the song we just sang, and I know that people probably thought while we're singing it that, When you move, you move us to tears. Oh man, I don't know if that's true. I've never been moved to tears by Jesus. Then you need need to do some heart searching if you've never been moved to tears by Jesus. Even the most unemotional person in here, whatever that means, we're all emotional. We all have them and Jesus created them. Would be moved to tears if you really understood what Jesus had done and he really grabbed hold of your life. I know that looks a little different for each person. But talk to any new believer. And they're going to be excited. They're going to be pumped to talk to you about Jesus. Has that worn off for you? Are you letting yourself enter in emotionally into what God is doing in your life? You know, for too long I said, you know what? I'm not a crier. I am. I give up. Okay? I said that. It's not true. Several times here, for some reason, it tends to, well, I know why, um, but we don't need to get it, but here during worship, I often have some tears strolling down my face, and it's nothing super dramatic, but it's like I'm just moved to tears by the truth of what we're singing. Last week, I was at the church where I was a youth pastor at, and God is doing incredible things there. I didn't know three quarters of the people and they were all mainly younger people and I'm like, that was not going on there last time I was here. And so a line in the song was, I I sing for joy at the work of your hands and I'm literally singing for joy at the work of God's hands as I'm looking around. 
and a tear comes down my cheek and later Heather's like wow that was a really cool line in there and I'm like yeah it was it's pretty cool she doesn't even know that I had a tear going off because I was still trying to stiff arm it and, and I and, and all of us here just need to let go of this hold it all together mentality we need to feel we need to taste and see that God is really good Men especially, do you hold it all together when your team loses? Do you hold it all together when you're woken up from a nap that you've wanted for a long time? Do you hold it all together when you lose your job? Doubt it. You are emotional. And you get emotional about the things that matter most to you. Are you ever emotional about Jesus and the gospel? And remember, Jesus orchestrated all of this going on here. All of this experiential, emotional stuff going on in Saul's life, it was Jesus' doing. Saul wasn't trying to do that. Jesus is the one who creates it. He created our emotions. He created Saul's emotions. And he desires for us to experience experience him. Cry, raise your hands, kneel, shout. Say amen every once in a while. Laugh if you want. Say yes. Not just mean in a service like this. That could be one expression, but just as you walk through life. Let God move you. It's okay. You can still do that while staying fully engaged with your mind. We need both. You know, Joey and and I joke that he's the head and I'm the heart. And it's not really a joke because it's true. Joey's like the rational thinker about things and I'm more the empathetic feeler about things Joey and I need both we both need to think rationally and well about our faith and about our walk with Jesus and we both need to feel as we walk through life with Jesus we all need that just like Saul had here so here's the call to us today be an Ananias be an Ananias be an unlikely witness to unlikely people. Don't wait for a vision from God like Ananias, though. That's what he did. You don't need a vision from God. Sure, you might receive one, but don't wait for it. We have a clear call right now that's already spoken to us by God. So I want to read you some words that Jesus said. I want you to feel the weight of them. They're up on the screen for you. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world And proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So who would you write down today? Who was that unlikely choice that you wrote down? See, when it says... Go to all nations and all creation. That includes the person that you wrote down this morning. And you might be like, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me just this weekend. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they didn't do growing up. And I would just say to you, you you don't know what Jesus did then. Or at least you don't get it. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave his one and only son 
for that person you wrote down if they choose to believe in him. And it continues that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. You don't understand what Jesus said. Jesus said, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will have eternal life, including that person you wrote down. So, I'll end by sharing a story with you. Last weekend, when I was in Marshall, Minnesota, I got to spend some time with three different couples who are now empty nesters. They have Their, their kids are grown up and out of the house, and they all have multiple kids. And each couple had at least a couple kids who are not just not following Jesus. They're either antagonistic towards following Jesus or atheist and going down the wrong path. And all of those parents did a great job. They probably did the Advent things, you know, at Christmas. and They were following Jesus that whole time. If they were here this morning, they would write their kids' names down as those unlikely people. And I understand that there are situations like that. The the person I wrote down this morning in my phone, that's, I'm in the same boat as them. Go in those situations looks like pray right now. Pray for God to take the scales off their eyes so that they can see. Pray for others to lead them to Jesus because they won't listen to me. I don't really have a voice in their life right now. But Jesus, I'm praying for you to break into that person's life through someone else. Pray for God to open doors, maybe even small cracks in the window for me to talk about Jesus with them. And here's the thing. Go looks like pray for all of us at the start. Whoever that person is, that's, that's your first step in going, in witnessing, is praying for them. But go must turn from pray to say. Opening your mouth, talking about Jesus, sharing your story, even when you don't know how, even if it seems a little awkward, which it will. St. Francis of Assisi is well known for saying this. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Here's what I need to hear every morning. Right in my ear with a loud megaphone. And my guess is this is true of everyone else in here as well. Here's what I need to hear from that. Use words. People love to use this as an excuse not to use words. But I'm telling you, people cannot come to know Jesus without hearing about them, without hearing words. So use words. Use words when it's appropriate, when God opens up that time with the person you wrote down and with other people in your life. And watch God do incredible things in unlikely ways through unlikely people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you use us, that we get to be a part of what you're doing. I mean, you could just snap your fingers and save people, but instead you choose to use us. We get to, we get to have the joy of being a part of what you're up to, God. So I pray for those people that we wrote down today. I don't know all the circumstances going on, but I'm sure 
it just seems impossible. Like, how could they be saved, God? I don't get it. I don't know how that's going to happen. And I don't either. But, uh, but God, I know you can do it because you did it with Saul. And you did it with me and you did it with several people in this room and you can do it again. So I pray that you would do it again, Jesus. Save the unlikely. Change the unlikely. Bring radical change through, through unlikely people. Through us just opening our mouths, God. Give us strength. Give us courage even when we're afraid to open our mouths, Jesus. And thank you that you promise us as well that you will be with us always, even to the very end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen.